Hello and welcome to the AI Artifacts Podcast, a podcast about the scale, the scope, and the steady drumbeat of artificial intelligence developments in the world today. I'm Brian Warmoth with my co-host Sarah Luger, PhD, for a journey under the hood, beneath the hive, and into the fray to see where opportunities are emerging, what's getting reshaped, and who's really saying what in the ocean of buzzwords flying around right now. We're live. Sarah, welcome to the first episode. We're here together. We're going to do it. This is amazing. I'm so pumped. Uh, for everybody tuning in, this is the first episode of the AI Artifacts Podcast. I'm Brian Warmoth. <laughs> Sarah Luger. Woo-hoo! We're here talking about AI, and we're going to be back for more episodes. But first, we wanted to sit down and tell everybody about why we're doing this podcast to begin with. Uh, I have my reasons. Sarah's got her reasons. Some of those reasons overlap, and that's really why we launched this. Uh, Sarah, why don't you start. You have a deeper professional background specifically in AI. Why don't you just introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, um, I'm Sarah. I have been working in natural language processing, artificial intelligence, and machine learning adjacent technologies for the last 15 years, and actually closer to 20, but no, it's, you know, time space. I'm really interested in language and how difficult it is to communicate, and how easy it is to communicate. I think it's a, a very, it's the core of who we are. And I, and of course, anything that is human primary is something that is going to be analyzed, and uh, technology has a role of amplifying, speeding it up, what have you. So I am an NLP focused AI expert, and I've recently been doing a lot of work in machine translation of low resource languages, telco and telco adjacent technologies, basically global approaches to how how to build tools that make people have quicker, easier task completion. Which just so happens to be how we know each other exactly. <laughs> through this remarkable telco world. Exactly. We yeah. met at a, we met yeah. at a, a past in a, a past yeah. life. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm with you because I think the role AI plays in communication as an, whether you're talking about an inter- intermediary or a tool for self-editing or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. discovering uh, elements of what we do to create communication products uh, that's, to me, a, a very interesting storyline right now. My background is in journalism and in uh, strategic communications and some other areas. Uh, but I, I'm really fascinated by the place we're at right now in terms of what generative, generative AI can do to produce different pieces of these larger things we put together. And I want to talk a little bit more about what that means, and I want to uh, do some discovery myself over the course of this podcast. We're in a really interesting place, Sarah, right now for for AI. You know, you and I have both been in and around the space over the past decade watching startups at various phases of, uh, you know, technology development emerge. And to me, what's really interesting right now is there is clearly a new boom happening. There's a new hype cycle happening. And yes, four years ago, AI was a big part of what startups were doing to promote themselves. And when you met a new startup, you always had to scratch your head a little bit and be like, what do you mean by AI? When you say that, how are you using it? Do you have your own technology? Do you have your own data? And I think those questions are still alive and pertinent. 
right now, but we're also in this place where so much attention has gone to AI in the wake of things like Web3 and other technologies from the past few years that have sort of fizzled in the larger set of public interest. And we're talking about VCs, you know, VC investment cratered in at the end of uh, 2022. However, in January, there was this big uptick and AI is driving a lot of that. You know, I saw a Crunchbase report that said a quarter of all VC dollars are expected to go toward AI-related startups this year, which is amazing. So, I, I, however, I saw another article this past week uh, that was a it was a London-based firm that is predicted CCS Insight. They're called is predicting that 2024 is going to be the year that cold water gets thrown on the entire AI hype boon and it'll be over almost as quickly as it started. And I, you know, I'm skeptical of that level of, you know, fizzling happening so quickly. I, you know, I don't, I, I think anybody who claims that degree of confidence in how quickly something's going to happen is inherently just looking for attention because they know what will get headlines but at the same time, I want to know what are things going to look like? Yeah. Well, statistically, that could happen. Mm-hmm. So that person made that bet knowing, hey, if in a year AI has fizzled, then I'll be the person. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I have respect for that. That's the science of talking heads. That's the science of becoming a talking head and just being able to make X number of predictions. Totally. If you make 10 predictions and one turns out to be right, nobody remembers the nine predictions that were not correct. Exactly. <laughs> and even in venture, it is one, one out of seven to one out of nine is actually the, the numbers that are considered great. Mm-hmm. You know, One out of every seven investment bets makes all of the money back and more mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. other bets. Yeah. But to your point... Hey, what is the what is the cycle? What what are we going to be talking about in a year? I think that it's important to look at the at recent history. Okay, we have had the blockchain mm-hmm. hype and and hope. What could blockchain do? A ton of very interesting things. We kind of got a little bit uh, sidetracked with uh, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And uh, cryptocurrencies in a way that I think is a bit of a disservice to blockchain, but that's my my personal hot take. But before that, we had uh, other uh, hype cycles that seemed to be, you know, more more quicker, uh, more intense. I mean, Meta, the metaverse, it was so big that Facebook changed its name. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not a, a one-to-one. And it's focused to emphasize AI. I mean, I think... Yes. Meta is a great one to bring up because it it's sort of the poster child for we're going to migrate away from this focus and we're going to put AI front and center and you know a big part of that was layoffs involved yeah. with 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 the, uh, their change of priorities too yeah. but uh, you know they're emphasizing their own AI that they're creating and I you know I, I want to get in later into the I think Meta the importance is an interesting, of yeah interesting yeah. Uh, uh, production use yeah. case because I think it has cascading benefit for the greater AI and human community. And, and a huge existing user base exactly. too. Uh, let me let me dive into something that I want to do every episode right now because okay. one thing that we want to do is cut through the noise yeah, and also noise. Uh, look at uh, you know what's real and what's not out there in this exciting carnival of AI startups that are out there. That's not meant to 
disparage any yeah. all the legit stuff. But um, I got this thing I put together. I think everybody listening probably knows two truths and a lie. I'm yeah. calling this two truths and le AI. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, what I've done is uh, I'm gonna I've got two real news stories and I've got one that is mostly AI created. Although you know I I made some edits myself. There was a human in the loop at the end of this. But uh, Sarah, I'm gonna read to you three examples of news stories uh, related. Okay. This is a Halloween themed uh, excellent menu this week. All right, here's number one. Heading into Halloween, blank. I, I've taken out company names because I realized if I have company names, then like you're gonna then instantly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Blank has surprised the tech industry with the announcement of a groundbreaking application tailored specifically for at-home Halloween enthusiasts. The Silicon Valley-based startup has unveiled Ghoulcraft Pro, an app that's poised to revolutionize how families craft spine-tingling haunted house experiences for their children within the familiar confines of their own homes. The app, set to debut just in time for the spooky season, leverages Blank's advanced AI algorithms to empower users to design and execute personalized haunted house adventures. With an intuitive interface and an array of customizable features, the Ghoulcraft Pro platform promises to guide users through every step of the process, from conceptualization to execution, ensuring an unforgettable and age-appropriate scare for kids and families alike. Moreover, the app's controversial ecto-scare mode has stirred ethical debates within the industry as it offers users the ability to simulate hyper-realistic ghostly encounters that blur the boundaries between playful thrills and potential psychological distress, leaving some experts questioning the app's impact on users' mental well-being. There's example number one. Here's example number two. Blank has launched an immersive Halloween content series called Phantom House, according to details shared with news website name on company names website the first episode rolled out on october 8th with new episodes arriving weekly phantom house follows several content creators as they attempt to escape a haunted house viewers are encouraged to aid and aid the creators by gathering clues and helping to solve puzzles and can also engage with themed ar lenses and the app's ai generated dreams selfies all right now for the third one which Right or wrong is my favorite. Boy, t- here's the headline. Boy terrifies neighbors by crawling around scarily real Megan Halloween co- in scarily real Megan Halloween costume. A young boy is crawling around and scaring his neighbors after whipping up a scarily real Halloween costume from the Megan horror movie. The wicked kid is seen in footage moving like the violent and chilling AI doll from the hit flick up and down his street as neighbors flee in terror. He even walks and crawls at speed on all hands and feet like the demented character. At one point, he does the doll's trademark dance, swinging his hands and hips from side to side. Okay, so I need to... So the, fir- so the first one, just to reflect, we yeah, have... The first one have- is the um, immersive experience... Uh- for um, haunted create generative AI for creating haunted house experiences, yes. which within can within your own home. Within your own home. Uh, second, we have uh, a special series called Phantom House that allows users to interact via AI and uh, and dream selfies. Uh, and then third, we have a uh, boy dressing up like the. Uh, did you ever see Megan? Do you know? No, this? but I am. I am familiar. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with the Oof yeah. and uh, the specific <laughs> dance. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I personally like two the most. Yeah. Um, but I think one is the fake. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's long. <laughs> and, I know, and I know that 
from a gender to AI perspective, you have a character length. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's too detailed. You're right, sorry. You win. I, I, it was, I, I, you know, I put that in. I actually got longer text from it when I put it in there. And I yeah. asked it for, I find this with uh, OpenAI, with, with ChatGPT, quite a bit that I'll ask it for a paragraph. And it goes the extra mile with a paragraph. Like yeah. beyond, like it does, when you say paragraph, it, it's. I mean, technically a paragraph is like three to five sentences yeah. if you're going to do like high school uh, grammar. But a paragraph is whatever the postmodernists want a paragraph to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's a rule-based system. Yeah. I, I want to watch that number two. I'm interested in it. It's on Snap. I, I should say. The, okay. Let me. In, in, in the interest of, oh, yeah, of, of uh, giving credit, yeah. The first. The first thing. The first, number one was generated by ChatGPT. Um, number two was generate was it was a real news article that was uh, about uh, Snap. Uh, it was taken from Marketing Dive, and then the third one was a Daily Mirror. Daily Mirror article. Let's just say yeah. I have a love hate relationship <laughs> with Daily Mirror. Yeah, I was trying to mix it up in new, from news sources. Yeah. I was looking for something more tech crunchy for the uh, for it, the opening. Like yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. So, so let me ask you right now what what do you think defines the place we're at for AI capabilities and AI adoption right now? As somebody who's got more than a decade of experience in tech and watching early players, watching how AI has taken root and, you know, you and I have both been watching open AI for a number of years and they are, you know, either just over the crest of their first boom in terms of public's interest or still continuing on that upward trend. You know, I don't, I don't make that judgment, but um, for you, what, what, what characterizes right now in this year for AI? Where we are, I think, again, to look at this historically with the meta, verse and the blockchain push we had with blockchain at least the ability to follow up on some of the promises metaverse it was almost not quite i think it was bad timing with covid because there are aspects of uh being forced to isolate and Mm -hmm. so living in a in a faux world or having a level of distance was less attractive Mm -hmm. so i think that that uh hurt adoption or even you know deeper ideation of how metaverse yeah. could be a part, a role in communication, uh, remote work, what have you. So these things are are a little bit in the rearview mirror, but they're not gone. And I think how to look at AI is to say AI has been here for seventy years. It's a, it is not going anywhere. But to your point, from the investment hype cycle, it is very much the big topic in town. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that as someone who has worked at a lot of companies that I think were too early. You know, mm-hmm. we were, the ideas were great. Um, the implementation, great. The market was not ready mm-hmm. for these concepts. Now, when we're looking at companies, we have to say, how are you using that data? What types of predictions or customization or user segmentation are you doing and these are the same sorts of things we've been doing for 20 years online with marketing technology, with other, um, you know, successful, think of Google, uh, successful business plans and execution. But we are looking at a landscape that had almost a year ago, a company provide a very sticky 
product that use large language models to entertain, bemuse, confuse, and and really uh, raise the bar in terms of what a company needs to have from a customer service, from uh, engagement perspective, to to even be on the playing field. Mm-hmm. I think that we are at a spot where uh, OpenAI specifically, their contribution has made everyone say, this is a new benchmark. Mm-hmm. This is a baseline of what our products need to do. They need to have this sort of engagement and we all have to get there. Mm-hmm. So we won't all get there at the same time. Yes, they're, they're, the cycle, and especially in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, we're, you know, we love a boom bust. We pretend we don't, but we love a boom bust. Now, adoption, there's an ecosystem of companies right now who can help you incorporate LLMs into your product. I also think that even with these massive funding numbers and the fact that OpenAI lost $540 million last year, they spent most of that on compute. And, you know, I I think at that point they had fewer than 300 um, employees. So this was on power. (laughs) They were spending on power and hardware. I think that there's a lot of money left on the table. I I don't think, you know, they've shown very positive revenue right now. Hmm. A lot of good technologies can be boosted. That's a, that's a separate question too. I think when you talk about the loss is, you know, we just came out of this era of, you know, companies, you know, going public, still having a loss and that, that being the norm for, for many of the, you know, unicorn levels, I wonder are companies going public? This is a, this is separate from AI, but yeah, AI is part of this, right? Is I wonder if hype is going to repeat itself in terms of giving longer leashes to some of these company, late stage companies. Well, I think that we over the past three years we've seen, and this is this is specifically slightly longer. We've seen yeah. new uh, financial models mm-hmm. used to um, organize liquidity events. Mm-hmm. So in the old days, it was merger and acquisition. Then we got into the IPO mm-hmm. uh, journey, but then there have been these SPACs mm-hmm. that have been put sure. together, sure. which have different lower thresholds of regulation i am i'm really interested in something you brought up there which is this place we're at of kind of jumping from entertainment novelty into real proven utility and i think we're kind of stretching from one into the other right now and to me that's kind of the mystery right now is are we at a place where this is going to prove to be a real utility to everybody or is it just a novelty that's hyped up right now i think that it will become a utility that is used by everyone think of a parallel maybe with great design Mm -hmm. say apple products Mm -hmm. we have these lives Mm -hmm. that with via our cell phone Mm -hmm. we we can have kind of a a seamless engagement between our laptop and our cell phone or our our Mm -hmm. home terminal and that Ease and lack of friction, mm-hmm. I think, is parallel to how this technology is just going to permeate. Mm-hmm. And it might not, and, and I think in most cases, it's not going to be the, the obvious incredible win, but it is going to up the bar in terms of what is good customer engagement, 
um, what is a naturalness mm -hmm. of you engaging with a tool, a lot more voice engagement um, and voice response. What here's here's something that's that's part of that picture too is I think the first time I was really aware of a lot of this generative AI as a, a visual tool for creating images. Right, I, I remember seeing uh, a, a former colleague of mine brought me this you know sort of abstract looking visualization it looked sort of like a sound visualization or something like it's combined with like something jackson pollock would have done in, in in as a digital output and i remember him putting that in front of me and maybe and i just he's like look at this and i said what am i looking at i understand that ai created this but why is why is this interesting to me then months later on twitter i saw people sharing these like stable diffusion created you know, not necessarily deep fakes, but sort of, you know, humorous. You weren't, they weren't meant to, interpretations, right? Yeah. And they weren't meant to fool you, but, you know, it's, it's sort of a, an easy way to create, you know, if you want to take the president of the United States and show him doing something wacky, yeah. you could. And it's not something that would fool somebody necessarily as a, uh, you know, like a fake news photograph. But I remember seeing those and that was when it hit me. Yeah, this is like a. It makes it really easy for somebody to illustrate an idea very quickly with with a minimum amount of time and work. Let me let me ask you this though: mm -hmm. Do you think that the text based generative products are better than the visual ones? Boy, that's a really good question, uh, and I think you have to look at specific use cases for yeah. both. It's hard for me to make an apples yeah. to apples comparison there. I, I mean, I'll tell you what I use. I, I've used Midjourney. Just I played around with Midjourney a lot this past mm -hmm. year. I find it to be really fun in the novelty space. Mm -hmm. uh, I write blog entries on my website, and instead of going to find a stock photo that people have seen 100, 200 times, it's something that's good enough, right? And you know, if if the visual isn't really the most compelling part of what you need, but you want something that is going to be thematically related, maybe have a slight emotional cue that it that it gives to the story you know just like a lead would have have that power for for the beginning of a story you know you can get that and you know you know if you know how to create a prompt that gets you to the right place you can do something in you know 10 minutes or 5 minutes even if you get the prompt right right away that would otherwise be a photoshop task that would take you an hour or two under or maybe more in other circumstances so i uh, I find that to be good. You know, I think that's AI is pretty good at finding good enough solutions in a lot of cases like that. It's not going to give you Pulitzer-winning magazine covers or you know powerful you know documentary footage or the uh, the artifacts that need to go into a news story to tell a real you know illustrative educational you know, fact-based, story-based in realism, right? It, do, it doesn't do that, but it can provide some other pieces along the way that help to add color and flavor. I, I agree completely. I asked that question because it was something that uh, recently was asked of me, mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about it uh, quite a bit. My friend said she queried MidJourney for... I believe it was a squid driving an earth mover. 
Mm-hmm. And she was upset because it wasn't an earth movement. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was a, a yeah. um, or no, it was an octopus. Yeah. The octopus did not have enough tentacles. Yeah. And the earth mover was more of a generic tractor. And that specific case made me think about the, the fact that Roombas, yeah. smart um, vacuums, mm-hmm. that, that uh, domain of smart vacuum is something that we, and by, by we I mean a small child, mm-hmm. a child under 10, or they, pardon me, this is a long-winded way of me saying, there was an experiment where children under 10 were asked if they thought their, their smart vacuum or their smart home device was, was uh, smarter. And they all said the smart home device, but the actu- in actuality, there's much more engineering that goes into the smart vacuum. And then, of course, we can say, well, which is smarter? And I have the paper reference. I can tell you that mm-hmm. the uh, Roomba is smarter. But the text, when you generate uh, words, the text allows for interpretation. And so you can, with a prompt, get a result that is, fits into a narrative that you've constructed in your head. There is also a lot more training data, a Mm -hmm. lot more training data of words online than images online. Mm -hmm. And so these images, well, fantastic, definitely first drafts of of many ideation uh, points are, the training data is not as robust. And it's kind of, you're nailing down an idea and you'll come back to it and say, hmm, no, that's not what I was. And and there's certain queries like what you're talking about. I I haven't tried getting an earth mover image myself, (laughs) but you know, you, you stumble into those and I have, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you do stumble into these things where you, you suggest this word or you, you explicitly put this word into your prompt and you realize after 20 different revisions of the prompt, it doesn't know what this is. Right. Well, and it doesn't know what it is. And Mm -hmm. I also think with imagery uh, production, that uh, the prompt engineering is really, really key. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your comment of what is a, what is a paragraph mm-hmm. that's well-defined, there's a lot of rules, yeah. but what is an image of a, of a earth mover with an octopus? I mean, it could just be one eye at the bottom of the frame with a little bit of a tractor in the background. Mm-hmm. That is technically yeah. correct. Yeah. But is that what you wanted? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. Probably not. Uh, let me move. We're, we're getting into the, the almost up to the half hour mark here, and I want to leave some room for us to preview what's what's to come in this podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, to me that that's what it is. You, like you, you, there are limitations on the data sets. There's limitations on the training data quality and what's been done in all these tools, and everything's still a work in progress to some extent. You know, some things are good enough when they're good enough, but. Um, yeah, I, I think you, you speak to exactly what my feelings are on some of the image image related stuff. I, I also wonder about you know going into the presidential election happening next year. Are we at are we at a point where these things are really ready to fool people? Because I, yes. I I think yes. does that characterize the time where you think yes? Oh yeah, yeah. but yeah. but I I think that this technology is here. Mm-hmm. I think that I was really impressed in the last election how there was so little mm-hmm. uh, misinformation. Because it does, misinformation and and bad use is something that we're going to talk about more. I also, you know, in in future podcasts, would like to be talking about the facets of AI that right now are really resonating, like the staleness of a lot of the data Mm -hmm. that's being used to train these systems, the uh, data dilution 
in mm-hmm. general because of uh, Brian, as you're saying, you're you're creating quite a bit of content with generative products, mm-hmm. and so that means that there's artifacts of generative products online mm-hmm. that are then being scraped because there's scrapers constantly going mm-hmm. through everything that is written online to generate the next large language mm-hmm. model. So. And the tools are not perfect for identifying oh, no. what has been AI generated or not when these things are happening, correct? Exactly. And so I'm, I'm working in a, in a working group on some of these topics because it is really important. And we might have some historical scrapes that are the best uh, data scrapes for building large language models. But what are the downsides of past data? You know, we talk about bias, human bias. Uh, the fact that the way we spoke to each other and referred to each other and our empathy has changed over time and we have artifacts, documentation of a lot of really terrible ways that we've referred to each other in the past. And the problem is, is that future predictions are based on past data. So stale data is not good mm-hmm. in in uh, the big picture. I also want to talk a bit about synthetic humans in upcoming podcasts mm-hmm. and the role of human labor, especially mm-hmm. with recent uh, strikes, mm-hmm. um, different groups understanding, like the writers, like the actors, yeah. and even with um, the, the car, car workers understanding that evolving work with AI and electric cars is going to change their relationship to their jobs. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really uh, fascinating from a historical you know, what, what will soon be a historical perspective. But I also think that one thing that we've touched upon, and I, I just want to reiterate, is that a lot of iteration, generation, getting rid of the blank page problem with both text and graphics, it's very useful with uh, generative tools. But I am concerned that this is going to change. If we think of a job as a set of tasks that you do, I think this is going to change that stack of tasks. And I think that there's a lot of, there may be a lot of challenges with folks who are uh, newer in their careers, mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, out of school or out of their apprenticeships, moving uh, through a career path that the lower rungs might have been removed by some of mm-hmm. these tools. And I wonder not only about how, uh, you know, you really have to be uh, adept at learning new, new tools in any domain, mm-hmm. but I think this is happening across the board with a lot of folks with AI. I also think it's been very democratizing mm-hmm. with uh, ChatGPT uh, specifically. It's with the entertainment factor has intrigued people, so folks are becoming practitioners, or they they were on different routes, professional routes in their life, and this has been enthralling, and they've they've pivoted and and are now using these tools or studying or working mm-hmm. in these domains. So I think it's been a fantastic PR. Yeah. It has been a fantastic I, I, PR. I actually, I think these are two very potentially great yeah. alternatives to what you're talking about. I mean, is it a hindrance to new people starting out in their careers or at a place in their career where they're transitioning or does it enable them to accelerate transition or growth? You know, I, I mean, I wonder about that too, because the other question with, early career people is if, if they're learning to do something for the first time and it's in the context of it being workflows that use these tools now, are they more inclined to accelerate and be better because they aren't relearning something from a wrong way instead of, or an old way versus learning it the first time in the, in the new modern way? I, I think that we can see 
broadly parallels mm. with COVID and how a lot of folks turned in, took that experience to uh, revisit career choice, mm-hmm. especially with medical careers. A lot yeah. of people said, hey, there's, there's um, a very key value in my community of being a doctor or yeah. a nurse or an EMT. And, and so a lot of folks have said, hey, I want to do this, and it's something that I can do moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. But to, to go back to um, the younger career uh, challenge, I'm, I'm actually concerned that there are tasks that we do that we have denigrated to say that they're early career or lower level yeah. that are maybe core to uh, a domain's expertise. And if we start trimming them off and Mm. giving them to a computer there might be aspects of that domain that get lost and a bit of the the soul of that domain could get lost i think in this this yeah and and this i think will get back to something that we want to bring up later in in the podcast is like where's the where's the importance of the human in the loop for these processes and is it changing is it a new type of position is it an evolving position uh, is it something that hasn't been identified yet? And in various cases, whether you're talking about military, medicine, publishing, entertainment, et cetera, uh, I think that's a question that all of these industries and different job functions are going to have to answer yeah. um, going forward. And that, that's an interesting set of questions for me. Yeah. So l- let's, let's say in that context, who are you hoping to talk to? I know we've got some exciting guests lined up that we're going to bring on. We've got some people from our personal networks and professional networks. And uh, I was out at TechCrunch Disrupt a few weeks ago and met some really, really exciting founders. We're going to bring a few on. We want to get some perspectives technically as well as you know, business perspectives and also, um, you know, some more academic perspectives in some cases. So, right. Definitely. I'm looking forward to having uh, colleagues that, that Brian and I have worked with who are data experts. So they, they literally sell data to the companies training the large language models. We've got folks from academia as well uh, as people who are advising AI companies, implementing large language models at AI companies. I've got a a recent colleague who's working in clothing design with generative AI. It's very, very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Are these like customized recommendations? Let's just say that he was told that in two hours he just did, he ingested a ton of inspiration Mm -hmm. images from the... Uh, primary designer mm-hmm. and did his boss said he did in two hours what took an entire team a month and that's wild <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear that story uh, yeah I, well I told him to make sure he negotiates using that <laughs> that detail All right. great well thank you everybody for tuning in we'll have more for you coming up uh, in next week's episode uh, Sarah and I have been busy behind the scenes and we're excited to launch this please go to uh, Substack and subscribe to us if you like you can hear this on all of your favorite podcast platforms uh, you can also just go to AIartifacts.net and find that Substack uh, subscription option. So thanks again. We look forward to talking to you. We've got questions for you. Um, I'll list some of those in the Substack. Thanks. Yeah. Please post questions for us. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. <laughs>
That's a wrap on this week's episode of the AI Artifacts podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll visit us at AIartifacts.net. There you can subscribe to our Substack show notes newsletter and discuss anything you just heard. If you like what we're doing, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on your platform of choice. This show is produced by Brian Wormuth and Sarah Luger. The music on the show is from Vanishing Horizon by Jason Shaw and is used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license.